thank you, Lord, for letting us join a million angels and a million others in worship to the Almighty God. What a privilege it is, Lord, to gather here in this moment, to lift our voices, to declare the glory of a divine Father who cares and loves us. Thank you for this anointed time, Lord. And I pray as we open up the word of God, we leave challenged, filled with your spirit, and courageous to live out whatever you challenge us to do. I pray this in your name. Amen. So those of you who are patient enough to stay online, that are watching online, we had... A little bit of a moment uh, right when we were about to start, um, the fire alarm went off. So uh, those of you who uh, were texting me, um, I'm glad that you were patient. You're watching online. For those of you who endured the Florida heat for an inconvenient moment, thank you for sticking around um, until we were able to clear out the danger of the fog that uh, we all just... Uh, almost lit on fire with. So, um, wanted to um, get your recollection. A long time ago, it seems like a long time ago, when um, 2019 of, or 2020 of March, we were all put, I think I got my dates right, we were all put in uh, our, our, our homes in like solitary confinement with our families in isolation. And there was something that was interesting because everybody was watching the news for the very first time all together. And some words, the descriptive words started to emerge in the mouths of politicians, in the mouths of journalists and, and, and news anchors, you started to hear words like false news, misinformation, disinformation, false reporting. And you would change the channel and you would have news media outlets that were accusing other news media outlets that were lying. And you're like, well, what's, who's telling the truth? Everybody's accusing. It's like siblings telling on each other, well, mom, she did this, and dad, he did this, and, and, and they're both, what's going on? So before we got our news on Twitter, before some of you kids in here that grew up with this type of thing are kind of scratching your head, what, news before Twitter, what's that? Before we started to retweet and repost other people's news, um, we got our news somewhere else growing up. So old people like me, we got our news from the grocery store. And this is where you would get it. You would go through the aisles and get your stuff, and I personally could not wait until the cashier. Because on the right side was candy. On the left side were magazines. On the top part of the magazines were the tabloids. I was so excited to see that news. 
And so here's what I, I went and I looked for some that I remembered, and I couldn't believe that I found them. So here's the first one. Dolphin grows human arms. So the amazing that dolphin evolved to almost being a human. Here, here's another one, and I, I thought that at first the second one was possibly Pastor Matt because a man fries eggs on bald head. But if you look closely, we know that it was not Pastor Matt because he even cooks crispy bacon and pancakes as well, and we know that Pastor Matt's vegetarian, so that couldn't have been him. So here's a third one that uh, NASA takes photos of ghosts. I don't know if you could see the ghosts out in space, but uh, it's pretty amazing. Something's flying in space. NASA took pictures of that. And uh, our former first lady, Hillary Clinton, she adopts an alien baby. Isn't that sweet? That's so kind. And then a former CIA guy and former vice president, Dick Cheney, did you know that he was a robot? No one knew this, right? This is where you get your news. And then, um, I don't know how many people in this room, this is kind of hard, hard to see, how many people in this room work for Advent Health? Raise your hand. Be, be proud for a second. There you go. Good. So if any of you recruit doctors, check this out. Surgeons cut my head off and sewed it back on. That doctor needs to be hired. Phenomenal, right? And then, of course, this is, this is the year, this is this shows how old I am. This was the year I graduated from, from high school, was Bat Child. I remember that. The year I graduated from, from, from high school, this came out, Bat Child. So this type of news obviously is far-fetched, right? And, and you would hope that people would say, that is so fake. It's fake. I heard that. Smart child there, whoever you are. So, have you read the Bible lately? Growing up, you're used to these stories that we've read. If you've read the Bible for the very first time and you come across the stories that we read in Scripture, it could read much like tabloids. So here's a question I really want you to wrestle with here. Can I, you, can I, ask yourself this question, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? Thank you. You're so talkative. I love it. Is it fake or is it real? Because there are all sorts of skeptics out there that are giving you false reports, deceptive reports about the authenticity of Scripture. And you have to ask yourself the question, can I trust it? Is it real? Is it fake? So the question is, why does the Bible exist? And these are huge questions that we're going to barely even be able to scratch the surface on. But here's why the Bible exists. At its core, the Bible exists to restore humanity into God's holy image. At its core. We were created in God's image, 
And the Bible points to the one who is the restorer of the image of God within each of us that we were intended to live with being image bearers of Christ. And the Bible points to the one that does the restoring in us. So the Bible exists to restore humanity into God's holy image. We're continuing a conversation that we started last month. And it was an older man mentoring and discipling a younger man named Timothy. And Paul is writing to Timothy in prison. He's in prison for the second time in Rome. And he's writing to him knowing that his death was near. And so there is urgency in his voice, urgency in his writing as he's writing to this young man, Timothy. And Paul wrote and warned him of false truth, false teachers, fake news about Jesus, and false deception is all around. And Paul urged Timothy to be faithful to the Word of God. Timothy was young, he was impressionable, and he was easily influenced by deception and falsehood. And Paul wanted to warn him what he could hang on for the truth. And so we're going to look at that right now. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. As we read these descriptive words that Paul is pointing out to Timothy, I want you to think of all the people that you hang out with. And I want you to listen and, and read these words because Timothy ha- Paul has something to say about these types of people that he is describing to, to Timothy. And he says this, there will be terrible times in the last days, verse 1, verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves. I'm not talking about psychology. It's not talking about psychology, love myself. This is a love yourself in a way that it hurts others, is what Paul's talking about here. So people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. See if this describes our culture right now. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, verse 3, without love, unforgiving, slanderous. I think that tears apart relationships and churches more than anything else is slander and gossip. Without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, verse 4, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is dangerous. Having the form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, denying its power to change your life. So having the form of godliness, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, but denying God's power to change your life. And Paul has this to say, have nothing to do with such people. 
And then he goes on in verse 6. They are the kind who worm their way into your homes. So a worm doesn't knock down a whole wall in one day. A worm burrows and picks and eats little by little and then eventually makes his way into your home. And by the time you figure it out, it's too late. And so assess your friendships, your relationships, people that you spend a significant amount of time with, somebody who has a seat at your table. And if any of those words describe any of those people, I would advise you to listen to the advice of Paul. Stay clear of toxic people. Have nothing to do with them. We can stop right there. That's challenge enough, right? Now, a lot of us, every single one of us, have blind spots. And this is why you need people to come alongside of you. And maybe some of those descriptive words sat uneasy with you because that describes, eh, I'm sort of like that. I'm sort of like that. And just take note and say, God, change that in me. Get that out of me. Somehow move that away from my life. So first thing Paul does is caution against people that are deceivers, that spread fakeness and slander about maybe God's people, maybe the Scriptures, maybe your religion. Stay away from toxic people. And then in verse 14, we skip a couple verses here, Paul describes all, this is, all these people are like this, but Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. In other words, Paul encouraged him to stay faithful to what he had learned as a child. Well, who taught him as a child? Remember last month, we talked about it in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 5 of, of 2 Timothy. This is, I, this is Paul writing to Timothy saying, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. So who did he learn it from? His grandma, his mother. Never underestimate the power of a faithful parent teaching their children how to walk with Jesus. Amen. And so he says, Timothy, continue in the way that you learned from your mother and grandmother. Continue in that direction. And then he says in verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. From a young age you have known the Holy Scriptures. Hmm. Do you know Jewish tradition, by the time you were, if you grew up a Jewish child, at the age of five, you would receive religious instruction at the age of five. 
But before that, mom and dad were teaching you the stories. They were pointing you back to Scripture. And by age five, you would start your religious instruction about God. And so at a young age, from infancy, Paul says, you have known the Holy Scriptures. So Eunice and Lois fulfilled their responsibility. And so I ask, if you're a parent in this room, that's part of our responsibility, is not only teaching kids right from wrong, but teaching kids the Word of God. Some of us might be guilty of that. It's never too late. One of the hardest things to do at my age is to memorize stuff. Hey, don't amen that, please. But it's, it's not an easy thing to memorize. But man, if you're a kid, it's like a sponge. Say a few things, they can recite anything. And there's this awesome, I learned it in college, um, Psalm 119.11. And your word have I hidden deep down in my heart. The words of God have I embedded deep down in my heart so that I might not sin against you, my God. The power of Scripture helps us stand against the devil's temptations. Your word have I hidden deep down in my heart. Have we been hiding God's word in our heart? Now, parents, if you have younger kids, um, I have an amazing resource for you. But I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want to have a personal conversation with you. So if you're interested in helping your kids memorize and learn God's Word to embed it in their heart, you come and talk to me after this. I will stay here for as long as I pass out from hunger pains. But I want to talk to you face-to-face if that's something that you're interested in. So what are Holy Scriptures able to do? So we see how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. The rest of verse 15 says, which are able to, Holy Scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. When we hear Scripture, read Scripture, memorize Scripture, it makes us wise to the things of God. Do you see why Satan's tactic is to constantly distract you from spending time in the words of God? It's lots of distractions today. But it makes you wise for the things of God. So Scripture does not save, but it leads us to a Savior. What's contained in Scripture, it just leads us there. If you hold your Bible in your hand, it's not going to save you. It's not going to give you the full experience that Christ wants for you. But it makes us wise to the things of God. The Bible exists to restore humanity into God's holy image, and it points to the one that can make that happen. And in verse 16, this is amazing phrase. 
These are really, I wish we had time to expand on that. But man, when, when this next phrase is huge because this has been debated for centuries. In Timothy, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. What in the world does that mean? So he takes this um, analogy from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And he goes all the way back to creation. And God's created the earth. And he looks down and he sees dirt and mud. And God starts to shape hands, feet, legs, upper torso, head, ears. And he sculpts this thing. And then when he's done sculpting it to perfection, he goes down and he breathes into the nostrils of dirt. And when God breathed into the nostrils of dirt, dirt became flesh and blood. Cellular structure, DNA, nervous system. All because of a breath of God. It became alive. He uses that analogy and he says, all scripture is God breathed. It's alive. It is God's words. And see, scripture is not just about God. Scripture is personally and intimately connected to God and is alive. The Bible exists to restore humanity into God's holy image. Paul went on to show that Scripture is useful in four ways. This is the second part of verse 16. And the four ways is this. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed, and here are the four uses of Scripture. And so, you look at useful for teaching. Well, useful for teaching is doctrine. Sometimes we don't like that word, doctrine, because that sounds heavy. But that's just what's contained in Scripture. So, it's useful for teaching, that's doctrine. For rebuking, that's conviction. Correcting, that's setting right. And training in righteousness that's instruction. And here's some of the biggest mistakes, and I think it's a cruel mistake, of what Christians have done with this in the past. Sometimes their focus has been on correcting and rebuking without the teaching and the instruction. Because we're really good with our sledgehammers as Christians for the rebuking and the correcting of everything that's wrong in society, everything that's wrong in the church, everything that's wrong with your life, Gavin. Pop, pop, pop. And sometimes we do that without the teaching and the instruction with righteousness. It was meant to be all used together as one. 
That's called spiritual abuse when you only do the two middle ones of correcting and rebuking. See, the purpose of Scripture points us to Christ and guides us to spiritual maturity. And this comes through the teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But now we ask the question is, why is this important to the church in action? Why is all this stuff about the Scripture important to the church in action, which is what we're talking about here? And I believe that the last verse tells us why it's important. So that, verse 17, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. Who's the servant of God? You, me, all of us. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Whatever doors the Lord opens for you, you will be equipped for that. Whatever doors close on you, you will be equipped for that. God is equipping us through the Word of God to be ready for anything that comes our way, and it is for the good work of His glorification. And it can't be done without the words of God embedded in your life. Good works are the natural results of God-breathed words living in you and out of you. See, in a world that spreads false deception, lies about Jesus, we can depend on the Bible to show us who Jesus is. And the people of God are to reflect Jesus by living the gospel. We end with this every week. Living the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our homes, wherever we go. It is the living word of God living through us in all those things. The Bible exists to restore humanity into God's holy image. Typically, at the end of my sermon, I always leave you with a question or a challenge. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to end today with an invitation. Because there's such little time here to dig deep into a massive subject, there is an opportunity that we dig deeper at and it's called Table Sabbath. Many of you don't come to that, and I don't know for what reasons, and it's okay. Some people are uncomfortable with that, but I believe that you are missing out on the richness of spiritual conversation. And sometimes spiritual conversation can get personal, and sometimes spiritual conversation can get really uncomfortable. But I want to invite you to come to next week's Table Sabbath. Because here are just two or three of the questions that I will leave you with today that we will be talking about next Sabbath, at Table Sabbath. So here's the first question. We are called to live lives that reflect the truth of Scripture. Do your words, your actions, make it easy or difficult 
for others to hear and believe the teachings of the Bible? It's a tough question. What kind of life do you live that the people that are observing your life, is it easy for them to hear the words of God when they look at you? Or is it hard for them to hear the words of God when they look at you? Not easy questions. I'll leave you with these last two. Are you establishing a consistent daily time in Scripture? Do you take a daily time out of your busy day to spend time in the Word of God? If you do, how or when? If you don't, what's distracting you? These are just a few of the questions that we ask at Table Sabbath. And I may just scared every single one of you away to come to Table Sabbath. But trust me, there is richness in this type of spiritual conversation. Nothing on earth has influenced my spiritual walk more than the reading of the Word of God. Nothing. Nothing on earth has changed my life more than the Word of God. Nothing on earth has given me more hope when the world is dark or when I'm in darkness than the Word of God. Nothing fuels me with more faith and conviction than the Word of God. If there is a single thing that the devil wants to distract you from, it's in the Word of God. And he probably plays on two things, Word of God and prayer. That's going to be his tactic. He will use busyness. He will use family. He will use friends to distract you from those two areas. But your relationship and understanding of who Jesus is and how he is absolutely obsessed with you, you will find that in the Word of God. When there are other believers and Christians that let you down, pastors, you're looking at a human but when you're looking at a word of God, you know that humans make mistakes. Spend time in the word of God. Satan will distract you, but find and carve out that time. There's nothing greater that will influence you more than the words of God. Father God, teach us to value what you have given us and what you have breathed on. You have made an ancient book come alive with your inspired word that you breathed on. Thank you, Father, for giving it to us. 
and allowing us to ingest it and hear it and allowing it to change our heart and our life through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.